Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Snedden. And I'm Rob Olson. A while back, we reviewed When October Falls by Christopher Dwyer, published uh, by Brown Paper Publishing in March of 2011. Dwyer's stories have been published in nearly a dozen magazines and e-zines, as well as in a few fiction anthologies. He's been a regular contributor to a couple of online fiction magazines as well. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, guys. Uh, appreciate having you guys having me on. Yeah, um, it's so far it's been one of the favorite books we've reviewed on Booked. Uh, um, we've already told all of the listeners what it's about. How about telling us in your own words what what When October Falls is about? Sure. So I, I like to look at When October Falls as uh, a sort of um, a neo noir uh, redemption story. Uh, it basically follows uh, a few weeks in the life of a man named Clint, whose whose wife has been missing for. At the at the opening chapter for over six months at this point, and uh, it, it just really destroyed his world. And uh, and just when he's about to really just give up hope and and just uh, end his end his existence, it's uh, something happens that really sets uh, this sort of downward spiral of uh, of, of uh, events that 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 makes it seem like that she may not be really dead. She may be somewhere out there. Okay, and as Livius and I kind of talked about uh, on the review that we did, it seems like the book could fall into just practically any genre or category you could think of. So if you could choose one, I know you said neo-noir, what do you think it would fall best into? And then above all, do you think it still is overall a love story? Uh, I'm going to have to stick with noir. Um, I mean, I, I understand that if you walk into a, a Borders or a Barnes & Noble um, chances are uh, a noir book is is usually going to be on the fiction shelf or somewhere in the mystery thriller section. I think for commercial purposes, it's it's most definitely a thriller. Uh, a couple of the guys in my day job had uh, had read the novel and had said, "Hey, you know what? This is a dark thriller." And uh, I'm pretty cool with that statement. But I, above all else, I would call it a noir book uh, through and through. Uh, as for the the love story comment. A very dark, very <laughs> twisted love story, maybe. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that that love is really what fuels the emotion behind all of those uh, those passages where uh, you seem to just sort of drift off with Clint, and you know he's recalling back on these moments with uh, with Jenna that you know held some special meaning to him. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I could say that you know it's, I guess in a full sentence, it's a neo-noir, dark thriller love story with a touch of sci-fi to it. <laughs> where where did you find the inspiration for this particular story? Um, I had the, the the opening. I'd say the opening chapter was was written uh, summer of two thousand eight. My wife, who at the at that point was uh, just my girlfriend, she. Uh, she and I were house sitting for one of the uh, the veterinarians at her hospital, and I had taken a few days off of work. It was this uh, uh, for me. It was uh, the Fourth of July holiday, so uh, my company had given us a couple extra days off. And I'm like, well, what what better thing to do than write uh, with this time that I have? Because she was still going into work, and I remember sitting at at this kitchen table and uh, and just staring out into uh, it's in a, a nicer part of Boston and. Uh, for some reason, I kept thinking about this this scene where where Clint's on the edge of a uh, a bridge that's actually exists in Boston, but it's uh, it's over another uh, overpass. There's no actual water 
uh, beneath it in real life. That is, it was uh, it, the scene just stuck with me, and I kept writing and writing and writing. And uh, before you know it, something fleshed out in my mind, and uh, I have this. I still have the trail, and I still look back to it too. Maybe it's just the nostalgia in my head, but uh, I have this uh, this email trail to myself in my Gmail account that calls <laughs> that's called uh, uh, the novel notes and. Uh, every every waking moment, I would I would shoot myself little notes, and uh, it just sort of it sort of just snowballed from there. I remember uh, Stephen Kagan once said that you know his story started out as this little seedling, and he just let the idea grow and grow and grow until it was you know fully blossomed, and uh, that's basically what happened with that. And I think a, a lot of what fueled the noir side of it was, you know, I think I at the point had just reread uh, Kiss Me Judas probably for the. I don't know, 150th time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that I think just uh, that sort of dark, you know, twisted love story just blossomed out of that. Great. So Livius and I have both talked a lot about uh, what a fantastic, uh, the writing, how it's fantastic and everything. Um, you said it, you started writing it in 2008. Was it a, was it like a straight line of writing until it was published or how long did it take to put it together? Cause you, it seems like you put a lot of thought into, I think practically every sentence that was in the book. Yeah. And that, that's uh, I'm glad you guys noticed that. That that's something that actually uh, the great Craig, uh, Craig Clevenger had taught me. I am a uh, definitely consider myself a student of, uh, of the cult, which is uh, Chuck Palahniuk's website. And uh, about five years ago around this time, they started launching these, they call them master's class intensives. And, you know, it was this uh, four, five, or six-week intensive course uh, with uh, with an author that would guide you. It was in, you know, message board forum uh, format, and they would guide you through, like, uh, their their own styled lessons for for writing. And, uh, and it was great to, to be able to study with, with writers like um, uh, Will Clark and Will Christopher Bayer uh, and, of course, uh, Craig Clevenger. And I actually took the class twice, and I remember – one thing that he said was that every chapter of uh, Dermaphoria for him was its own chapter. And he, I mean, every chapter was its own short story. So uh, he at one point had hung up uh, different pages of different scenes all across his apartment. And uh, I'm like, wow, I mean, that's like that, that showed me that he put so much care and, uh, and so much thought and so much of his talent into every single sentence that he wrote uh, that it really made me think like, hey, I, I want to write a book that's so filled with all of those quotes that you, I mean, you look at something like uh, <laughs> the velvet message board and they have a 75 page thread of favorite Will Christopher Bayer quotes. And that's, that's from three <laughs> books. And I wanted to have a book where you could just open up to any page and just be moved by a sentence. That's definitely something that we talked about in our review is that if, cause we gave a couple of quotes and it seemed like if we, if we quoted everything that we liked, it would be practically the whole book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to echo that statement now. <laughs> after after Rob and I ran into each other, I, yeah, you definitely did a fantastic job with that. And um, in re going through my notes for this interview and stuff, it really hit me that you know, like you said, you could open to any page and grab something of of you know of intrinsic value. You know, just stand alone without the rest of the story. I think you did a really terrific job with that. What type of process did you have in writing that type of thing? I mean, did you write story? Did you go back and interlace it with with more thought, or how do you just give us like a snapshot of a chapter that you wrote? Uh, we'll take a look at something. Maybe uh, uh, the uh, online uh, webzine uh, Nefarious Muse published an excerpt uh, a few weeks before the book published, and not sure if it was chapter three or chapter four, but. 
the the scene was set where Clint wakes up in the, in the hotel room after being kidnapped and ends up uh, assaulting and uh, and murdering uh, his would be uh, kidnapper and uh, a, a scene like that and uh, the chapter that the rest of the chapter that followed maybe took one first pass at it and then a second edit maybe the the next night that I started to write I mean besides that I couldn't really force myself to go back and uh, and just and just pour over every single sentence and even though I am praising a writer like Clevenger for for doing something like that. There, there's just there is. I'm not sure if it's just me being uh, OCD or uh, some other type of psychological illness that I have, but <laughs> I just couldn't bear to to, to spend uh, a month writing a single chapter when um, I knew that I could spend that time, you know, writing new prose or maybe just taking that time to you know to work on a different project. But it, uh, there's a lot of scenes that I, I can think of. I mean, uh, to be honest. Um, and this is something I was telling uh, Richard Thomas a few months ago. Uh, the The last fifty, sixty pages of that book were written um, in a single night, and it's uh, for me. It's it's you, you get to a point when you're writing a story like this where it's almost as if you're not necessarily dreaming, but you're not fully awake, and it's it's just you alone with the book, and uh, and everything just was was just fueled by. Um, just losing touch with reality a little bit. I know that seems a little cliched, but I mean, that's honestly the way it was. I mean, the last 50 or 60 pages of that book was written, you know, from, from 10 o'clock on a Friday night until probably about noon the next day. And uh, it's, it's just, I mean, I remember going back and reading it going, wow, I, I don't remember writing that. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to sound like Stephen King, who I think had said that he didn't even, he didn't even remember writing Tommyknockers, but I can't, I can't believe that at all. I don't remember um, reading that, so... <laughs> nice. It's something like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, were you really that drunk and high that you couldn't remember writing a novel? Uh, but no. But honestly, I mean, I, I remember going back uh, the the weekend after uh, I finished the book and reading some of the sections from the you know from the the last six or seven chapters and and going, wow, I wrote that. I, I don't remember that. <laughs> wow, that's very cool. I actually was reading an article earlier this week about. Frederick Forsyth and that he wrote Day of the Jackal in 35 days while he was living with someone because he couldn't afford an apartment. And I thought, you know, wow, what an accomplishment just to write through, you know, in a month and put out something that's, you know, becomes a legendary yeah, espionage yeah. or, you know, assassin novel. So that's incredible. Just when you get with it, yeah, the flow just uh, gets a hold of you. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it just captures you and you, you get to a point where, uh, again, you, you can look back at the writing and go, wow, I, uh, I was so deep within this book that I don't remember writing that. See, so, yeah, if we can just get to the part where we start with that and not remember writing, maybe we'd have some published <laughs> fiction too. Um, speaking of publishers, um, it seems that Brown Paper Publishing is going to be closing down um, in mm -hmm. March of next year. How does that affect uh, the future of your novel? Uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure how that worked. Uh, to be honest, uh, uh, Pablo Dester and I uh, haven't spoken. Uh, in a good month, month and a half. I mean, I imagine that, I mean, if we want to talk like legal rights and things like that, I'm sure that I'll be free in a year to, to publish October with somebody else. But I think, uh, you know, my goal right now is just to, to, to finish work on this, this new novel that I'm writing and sort of let October be, uh, you know, be to be a pretty cool indie book that kickstarted my career. Uh, it, the, the closing of, uh, of, of Brown Paper was, it, it it hit me 
uh, he announced to his writing staff, you know, maybe maybe two or three weeks before he announced it to the greater world. And it, it really hit me hard because, you know, here it is. I mean, this is uh, uh, a great moment in time for me to, to have this book come out and have the world uh, be a part of it. And, uh, you know, a few weeks before it goes out to the world and the world actually reads it, uh, everyone's aware that the publisher is closing down. So <laughs> uh, it's uh, it was a little disheartening. But, I mean, to be honest, Pablo has, Pablo has done so much for me uh, over the past year. I mean, I, our entire relationship started because I bumped into him at the uh, AWP book fair in Denver last year. And we sort of kind of maybe knew each other from Facebook, but maybe not. And, uh, and I was pretty honest with him. I, I, I was actually kind of nervous. Uh, I, I said, said to him, I was actually, I had, um, fantastic French writer, uh, Axel Tayeri with me. And, uh, I had said, uh, Hey, you open for submissions. And he had <laughs> point blank said, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow and um yeah and then and then he pulled me aside later when we bumped into each other again and said hey you know I, I just wanted to say that because there were other writers around you uh but yeah he goes send me send me what you have and you know we'll take it from there and at that point uh you know we're talking maybe march april of uh, 2010 i had about 30k 35,000 words done on on october and uh and uh, I, I actually sent him the sample uh later on that night in my hotel room while Axel was playing with his new iPad, uh, it's a backstage writers thing there. And uh, I checked my my uh, my Gmail account on my phone every minute for about three weeks. And <laughs> finally, Pablo wrote back and said, "Finish it by October first, and uh, we'll put it out next year." So, um, but yeah, Pablo Pablo has done a lot, and it's uh, it's it's really sad to see a great indie publisher like that go. But uh, I'm sure he'll move on to to, to bigger things and. Uh, I think uh, October, in and in and of itself, will um, either find a new home or just uh, or fade away somewhere. I guess uh, as long as I can get as many people to read it as I can uh, before March of next year, we'll be in business. Uh, tagging on almost perfectly with that, we recently read and reviewed Axel Tayari's short story "Light to Starve By," and. Um, in our back and forth conversation with him, he mentioned difficulties with Eternal Night, like things he probably mm-hmm. encountered with the publishing process. So, uh, you were also published in that. Did you have any uh, weird experiences or any takeaways from that experience? Uh, yes, actually. What the entire idea for Eternal Night, uh, the, the the seedlings of that idea occurred uh, sort of I think mid to late two thousand eight. I, I was. Uh, Speaking uh, with uh, Nick Corpin and uh, and Richard Thomas about just vampire fiction in general, and we had this fantastic idea to start um, writing sort of alternative vampire stories. So uh, things, uh, you know, they wouldn't be cliches. I know uh, Richard Thomas's story that was in Eternal Night uh, didn't involve blood per se, but involved, uh, I believe, involved uh, thoughts and uh, and some sort of uh, physical apparition of a person's soul and that's what the so-called quote-unquote vampire of that story was 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 sucking was uh this this idea of soul or 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 thoughts and um and before long we had this uh, incredible collection of stories and we were looking actually to put it out ourselves and uh, and maybe do a a very limited uh very cool very limited uh print uh hardcover run uh and we looked at publishers and uh what happened uh that actually started the downward spiral of the 
uh, of the uh, the inc- incredible problems of that anthology. Uh, I was living in um, in a city called Revere, uh, which is uh, just uh, about five or six miles outside of Boston. And I uh, a couple weeks previously uh, 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 submitted a I wouldn't call it exactly a uh, a zombie story. It was a uh, an apocalyptic noir story that I submitted to this uh, v- uh, very small p- uh, publisher. Uh, I won't name them here, but uh, uh, people uh, doing some searching online could could find the name of them very easily. Mm-hmm. I submitted this apocalyptic noir story, and they accepted it. And uh, the publisher actually wrote back to me and said, "Hey, I noticed that you live in the same city as me." And we uh, actually uh, got together for a cup of coffee. And uh, it turns out he's a former Permuted Press uh, author, and they're they're big on um, you know zombie and apocalyptic type fiction. And uh, in the middle of our conversation, I, I was pretty point blank with them. I said, "Hey, I have this really cool collection of uh, of alternative vampire stories, and uh, I'd love to to have you put it out." And he just, uh, it was just a very controlling publisher. Uh, didn't really have his pulse on the indie community that we really wanted to get ahead of. Uh, he was very difficult with the other writers. Um, but fortunately and unfortunately, uh, the book saw publication and uh, the people that have read it have nothing but nice things to say about it. I mean, Axel's story, uh, far and away, um, A Light to Starve By was uh, one of the most incredible short stories I've ever read in my entire life. And I'm so glad that was included in the anthology and some other great writers uh, had some other fantastic stories in there. And I wrote this, uh, this sprawling uh, 10,000 word epic uh, noir vampire story that I am actually trying to shop it around and see if there's uh, uh, any other anthologies out there that that could use it. Because it, it, what's really sad about the internal night anthology is that I can guarantee you that not many people read that and they don't know of the great fiction that was in that collection. Speaking of indie publishers, your novel doesn't appear on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Can you tell us a little bit about why that is, and how do you feel how you feel it's affected the reach of your book? Uh, not having the book on Amazon uh, has created some problems. Uh, unfortunately, uh, a couple months ago, uh, a very I won't name the website, but uh, a very large, uh, highly trafficked uh, fiction indie type author website was about to publish an interview with me uh, that was conducted by another writer. And uh, when they noticed that uh, One October Falls was not available on Amazon, they pulled back. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't publish the interview and it ended up finding a nice home at uh, the Outsider Writers Collective. So that was good. But uh, it has been a bit frustrating um, because, I mean, you look at how we buy books. I mean, I I buy books off Amazon if it's going to be in – um, you know, physical, you know, printed form or from buying a book, it's, it's usually, uh, you know, via Kindle or via iBooks on, on my iPad. So, uh, it, it has been a bit frustrating, but, uh, I think in the long term, I'm Pablo Destere of Brown Paper is truly a hardcore indie publisher. And, you know, having the book available on CreateSpace, I'm sure was a, uh, a financial decision on his part. And I'm sure that, uh, it's, it made his life a lot easier than, uh, going through another outlet, but uh, as long as people can find an outlet to, to to find the book, download it, buy it, have it shipped, and they're able to read it, I'm happy. Shifting gears a little bit from all the serious talk, uh, <clears throat> one of the things that I've kind of liked to do in the couple interviews that we've done so far is just kind of get an idea for a feel for 
you know, what, if any kind of writing rituals you have, or maybe if, uh, you have like a reading ritual, like I always like to hunker down with a, you know, a, a latte and a, in a big comfy chair when I read. So, uh, do you have any writing or reading rituals that you could talk about? Uh, for, for reading, it's, uh, it's pretty simple. It's just whenever I have the time, um, my day job is, uh, is pretty intensive and, um, the one good thing is that, uh, well, the good thing, the good and bad thing is I, I am able to work from home a few days a week and, uh, that could be either a blessing or a curse, uh, depending on, <laughs> uh, depending on how sunny it is outside and whether I'm going to take the dogs for a long walk. But it, it's, it's honestly, whenever I, I do have time, I mean, I think the great thing about the iPad is, uh, uh, I'm able to, you know, hold, you know, 200, 300 books in the iPad and not having, you know, to physically carry them. Uh, and it's been great over the past few months cause I've been traveling a little bit for, for my, uh, uh, for my day gig and, um, you know, I think, uh, on a flight to Las Vegas, uh, a few months ago, I was able to, to get through, uh, two or three books on that, on that, uh, on that plane ride there, which is fantastic. And, and of course on the way back, able, able, being able to read a couple books and, uh, it was just absolutely perfect. Um, uh, sorry, uh, sort of segue there a little bit on the, uh, the, the e-readers, but, uh, yeah, in terms of reading, it's it's whenever I can find the time. I mean, I'm I'm a hardcore Boston sports fan, so uh, <laughs> my time has been taken up by uh, by Bruins playoffs over the past uh, two months. So, uh, so the writing, I mean, the reading has sort of uh, 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 teetered off a little bit, but uh, obviously during the summer, you know, when it's nicer outside, we live. Uh, our backyard is basically a lake, so it's just a perfect view to to curl up uh, in a beach chair with uh, with a good book and and read for a few hours. Uh, in terms of writing, it, it was only up until last year that I really had a steady residence. So I, I often had to find places to write. And um, uh, when October Falls was written, I, I think I say this on my website, it was written in six or seven or eight different locations. I mean, it started <laughs> up in that house that we were house sitting in and it, it, it went to uh, to working on it at my parents' house. <laughs> You know, I wrote some of it in a hotel room in Chicago a couple of years ago. You know, there, there's so many, uh, so many different locations that book was written in. But uh, I sort of have this this weird ritual when writing that I have to have at least three different types of liquids readily available. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least one type of very strong coffee, uh, and I'm completely obsessed. And I know they're so bad for me. Uh, Rockstar energy drinks, mm. perfect for writing. And of course, I'm familiar. I'm familiar with that particular addiction myself. So right. they're and they're just fantastic. I mean, they're they're delicious and terrible for you at the same time. But <laughs> if it can keep me up to you know to write for five or six hours, you know, before the sun comes up, then it's perfect. But um, I'm very big on writing to instrumental music and and film scores. Uh, I believe in the the uh, the acknowledgments of of uh, one October falls. I mentioned uh, Clint Mansell, who was you know. Uh, that's the main character is named after Clinton Mansell uh, and James Murphy. I mean, those their scores. I mean, particularly the scores from Moon, uh, The Fountain, and um, and Twenty Eight Days Later was. Uh, I mean, those were just gigantic uh, sort of emotional set pieces for for writing this book. So, do you think that um, listening to music while you write influences the fact that your your writing seems to be so descriptive and visual and and just it seems like it, it's really dripping with uh, very, very heavy descriptions of things. 
Yeah, I think that that's a big factor, and uh, it definitely uh, you know contributes to the to the to, to the layers and, and sort of the dense layer of, of my prose. Uh, I mean, I love uh, instrumental music that can give you goosebumps, and I remember uh, uh, Clint Mansell's uh, score for Moon, uh, the first track, I believe it was called Lunar Industries. Uh, it's as soon as his um, you know his uh, his drum machine kicks in and he has the piano going at full force. I mean, just thinking about it right now, it gives me a little bit of goosebumps. I mean, if I can hear something that really gives me goosebumps and, and really moves me emotionally, I mean, that's absolutely going to be reflected on the page. You talked a little bit about, um, well, Christopher bear as an influence. Um, what are some of your early influences? What got you to want to write? Um, I, I, I'm sure that there are millions and millions of other, other writers that would say it, but, uh, definitely Stephen King. I mean, one story that I always tell is that, uh, when I was uh, a younger kid, I shouldn't have been reading, uh, books like it or, or misery or Carrie or any of, of, of King's uh, work from the seventies and eighties. I mean, I remember being eight or nine years old and being at, um, being at, uh, this sort of elementary school book fair and uh, and picking up a um, a so-called collection of horror stories that were meant for children, and and not even and getting as far as two or three pages in, and and then uh, and wandering off and, and picking up uh, you know Stephen King's Graveyard Shift book or something like that. <laughs> um, I mean, that really set the stage for me. I, mean, I always wanted to be a writer, and um, I was a uh, I majored in, in journalism in, in college, and I spent uh, about a year, year and a half out in the print journalism world. Uh, which was an absolute nightmare <laughs> in itself. Uh, but uh, I think uh, just being around words and being, uh, as long as I, I was able to write for a living, I think that there was something that that, that fueled my fiction writing. I mean, even now, my day job, I'm in a, a technology market research analyst, and it is absolutely terribly boring at, at certain points. But <laughs> Uh, knowing that I'm actually writing words and getting paid for it's uh, actually pretty cool. And the good thing about it is that after writing so much about uh, you know data findings and figures and um, you know certain market trends, uh, it's good to just have a completely blank sheet of paper and being able to you know dip into narration mode and uh, and start writing a you know a short story or continuing work on a novel. Um, but uh, you mentioned Will Christopher Bayer, and uh, and yes, uh, being <laughs> short of being obsessed with uh, his work, uh, well, you know, what? I, I will say it, I am obsessed with his work. <laughs> um, you and me both. Good, <laughs> love to hear that. Uh, I uh, I remember picking up Kiss Me Judas at a used bookstore uh, sometime, uh, maybe about a year, year and a half after I graduated college, and. Uh, I finished the book in two sittings, only because uh, something must something serious must have interrupted me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I immediately. I mean, I was the minute after I finished that last page of Judas, I was already on Amazon and purchased uh, uh, Penny Dreadful and Hell's Half Acre, and I completely, completely, completely devoured those two books in the span of a weekend. And um, there, there's something about this prose that sort of sh- shifted me from saying that I wanted to be a horror writer to wanting to be a noir writer. And, um, and it's what's, what's really sad nowadays and not necessarily sad, but I think it is worrisome for me as I'm working on the next novel is that anytime I sit down and you, if you ask me at gunpoint to, uh, to sit down and write, uh, two or three pages of prose without really thinking about it, it's going to be in first, 
first-person point of view. It's going to be a noir derivative in some sense. It'll be layered, and uh, and I absolutely, absolutely blame Bayer for all that. <laughs> <laughs> On your website, you mentioned Robert McCammon's swan song as a favorite, and I ask this because it's one of my favorites too. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about the jump he made from horror to historical fiction? Uh, the thing about Swan Song is, uh, I know I'm in the minority here, but um, I would say that book is just as good, if not better, uh, than than The Stand. And I'm not really a, a gigantic fan of historical fiction, but I'm sure with uh, the the talents that he has, and just you know, just seeing his talents in, in Swan Song, uh, I'm sure that he's going to add that touch to anything he does. And I haven't honestly haven't read anything of his historical fiction, but now that you mention it, that's uh, maybe there's a couple books I have to buy. Yeah, it's uh, and and you're right because anytime the stand comes up in conversation, I seem to ask people, "Did you read Swan Song by Robert McCammon?" I always get the really blank look. Yeah, as yep. uh, Stephen King has probably sold you know 200 to one of McCammon's books. So, but yeah, I'm definitely in agreement with you. It's at least as good as the stand. So, um, you mentioned horror a couple times, and we've been looking for uh, a horror book that we could review on our show. Um, do you know of anything that is uh, out recently or coming out soon that we should keep our eye out for? Uh, one off the top of my head, I would say uh, anything that Brian Keene has ever written. I'm not sure if you guys have heard of him. Uh, he is a uh, he always called himself sort of a um, a poor man Stephen King. I mean, his writing is sort of it's this very modern American horror and. Uh, he wrote this fantastic uh, apocalyptic zombie book called uh, um, The Rising back in either 02 or 03. And, uh, and its follow-up was called City of the Dead, and it was just a, another amazing book. And, I mean, that type of fiction can get very tired very quickly. And, <laughs> and Keen, uh, it's just, uh, his books are just fantastic. I've been reading a lot of uh, Chelsea Kane's uh, novels as of late, and... Um, I mean, I know hers. Hers, her books are a good mix of horror and thriller, but I definitely suggest uh, checking some of her stuff out. You have an appearance coming up in Warmed and Bound. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and maybe briefly about your story? Sure, sure. Uh, very glad you asked that question. Uh, Warmed and Bound was. Uh, I actually got approached uh, pretty late. Um, I I believe when uh, Pella Villa, who uh, edited the anthology, when she was uh, sort of putting out the call for submissions. I was somewhere lost in uh, one October Falls, so uh, I didn't really find out about it until until sometime in February when Axel and Richard said, hey, um, do you not have a story in here? And uh, <laughs> if you don't, why not? Uh, so I approached her and I said, hey, any chance you could, you know, uh, give me a slot in this novel, on this uh, this anthology? I mean, I, I, can't, I can't not be a part of this. So uh, she said that, you know, just send me a story and she'd give me a decision and uh, I wrote this um, incredibly cool uh, noir story about um, amputation fetishes. So uh, it should be pretty interesting. Uh, it's uh, the, the amount of talent in that book, my God. I mean, there's, it won't, I know it won't sell a million copies, but God damn it, it deserves to sell a million copies. I mean, you have Stephen Graham Jones, you have Brian Evanson, you have Clevenger, you have Richard Thomas, Nick Corpin, Caleb Ross, uh, Chris Dale, Axel. My God, I mean, it's uh, – uh, you remember the the 1992 or 94 um, uh, NBA Dream Team with, like, Jordan and Barkley? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is that, like, on crack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, plug time here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Rotten Leaves, the the site that you run with, Axel? 
So Axel Tyeri and I, uh, we started discussing the idea of Rotten Leaves back in summer of 2009. And it was, uh, I think it really, the conversation started out that, you know, there were really, there are a lot of dark fiction uh, e-zines and uh, in magazines out there. But our sort of our fiction, you know, where, you know, sometimes it could be considered horror. Most of the time it could be considered noir. Other times it's sort of a mystery or a thriller. And you add sci-fi to the equation and it's sort of this weird uh, uh, mix and meshing of, of different genres. Uh, we wanted to have a place where writers would feel comfortable sending stories like that. And you know, we'd love to be able to, you know, publish a, a noir story with bad guys and guns and drugs uh, next to a story about ghosts. So... Um, it, the first issue launched in uh, at Halloween of 2009, and it was just such a incredible, incredible reception, uh, both for for readers and writers. I mean, we have some fantastic, uh, fantastic fiction up there, and uh, we launched the second issue last year. and uh, And for that issue, actually, we invited Nick Corpin to be our uh, our fiction editor, and we made the the three of us collectively made a decision uh, at the end of last year to to sort of. Uh, make it more of a rolling type of everyday destination for, for writers rather than, um, you know, Hey, we have an issue out and, you know, here are all the stories, you know, read them at, at your, uh, at your leisure. But we're looking at, um, what a website like uh, HTML giant does where there, you know, there's content up there, uh, typically, uh, every day. And, uh, we wanted to have a website like that where, you know, it would be something you bookmarked and, you know, after you, uh, you know, you check out the news or the weather, it, would be you know that third or fourth uh, website that you would visit uh, you know first thing when you get into the office or first thing when you wake up in the morning, uh, so that's sort of the style that we're going on now. And actually, uh, the relaunch of Rotten Leaves just occurred over the weekend with a fantastic, fantastic story by Stephen Graham Jones. And uh, we're just about to send out the uh, the acceptance acceptances and the rejections. And so you'll see pretty soon that there'll be a new uh, fiction story up weekly. Uh, we'll mix it up with some some uh, interesting news stories. Uh, you know, every every day or every other day. Uh, so it certainly marks a change in, uh, you know, the Rotten Leaves philosophy, but um, we really wanted to have a destination where, uh, you know, writers like us and, and people that like to read fiction that we write and uh, other types of authors that we like, you know, we wanted, you know, if you're a fan of uh, Stephen King, Will Christopher Bayer, Clevenger, Jones, Evanson, you know, any writer that has some type of uh, dark tinge to their to their prose, we wanted to have that that sort of central destination for all that. Um, speaking of which, and this has just come up in the conversation, you mentioned instrumental music. I was on uh, I was on your site earlier today, and uh, is that uh, was that your contribution? The video from Godspeed You, Black Emperor, on the side there. Actually, that, that was Axel's idea, but um, <laughs> uh, I mean, could you couldn't pick a more perfect song for that site? <laughs> I, I wound up listening to like an hour and a half of them on YouTube after hearing that after being on your site. So thank you for giving oh, me something good. to listen to while I was doing my work good. today. Good and gl- um, glad to. Get- some new fans that that band uh is just uh when i was at really when i really started writing professionally around uh you know late 2005 early 2006 i mean those were just one of those bands that uh, like i said give you goosebumps really drives the emotion behind a story can you give us a peek at what you're currently working on absolutely uh actually just uh finished up the first chapter last weekend i am trying and the key word here fellas is trying to write in third person <laughs> the it's uh, it's been a little bit difficult, and uh, I'll be honest, I haven't worked on the. I intended to work on this book uh, for my uh, Christmas holiday vacation. I, I, I had some um, 
uh, paid time off days to use, and they expired at the end of uh, the 2010 calendar year. So I took a, about a good five or six days off around the Christmas Eve and Christmas Day holidays, and uh, just couldn't really settle on an idea for for the new book. I, I have honestly have about six or seven different email trails to myself with uh, various notes, and I started this uh, this book that was very much written in the vein of of, uh, of October. Uh, where someone goes missing and uh, it's sort of another search and um, it wouldn't be as dark as October. And I think after working on it for a couple of days, I, I, I just realized I needed to sort of, uh, you know, expand my horizons a little bit. So this new book is something that I, I feel comfortable that I am going to finish before the end of the year, or at least in the first quarter next year, because uh, it's something I would like to, to shop around to uh, to a potential agent or maybe a bit of a, a bigger publisher, you know, than, than Brown Paper. Um, it, it's a very cool, a very, uh, it's, it's so tough to explain, but I know that when people do get a chance to read it, they'll, they'll love it. Um, the opening chapter, um, and, and I'll sort of, uh, spoil just the first chapter for, for all the readers out there of booked podcast. Uh, it takes place, uh, two different sides of the world overnight, um, in a Paris hotel, every single person in the building, uh, becomes uncomfortable conscious and passes out and at the same exact moment that same incident happens to a uh, to this same number of people in a hotel in boston and the only difference between the two incidents is that uh the people in paris don't wake up and uh and sort of sets off this incredible string of of different characters and uh and different uh, uh different events that um I think if for people out there, if they're looking for uh, sort of a uh, a very quick description, it's definitely uh, Lost. The television show Lost, you know, meets uh, something like The Stand. I mean, it's it's such this this weird amalgamation of genres. Sounds very very cool. As I'm a fan of both of those, so we can't get Rob to say anything good about Stephen King on this show. So and he hasn't seen <laughs> Lost, so he's gonna. You notice he's really silent right now because he has nothing to say. I was taking a sip of my latte. <laughs> if uh, if I could ask this, um, you've mentioned a lot of great authors and people that, you know, in Warmed and Bound and just uh, other people that you've worked with. But if you could give us only one author that you'd like to see us uh, review or interview on Booked, uh, who would you recommend that we approach? I would say I only have to pick one. So Just one. You've already well. You've already reviewed uh, Axel. A, pr- a prior uh, a prior guest ruined that for you when he gave us fourteen or fifteen <laughs> for this question. So, <laughs> all right. Well, you already reviewed Axel, so he's out. I'd love to see you guys interview uh, or review anything by Nick Corpin or Richard Thomas. I'm sorry, I picked two, but <laughs> um, those guys just uh, uh, the fantastic thing about Richard is that. You know, Richard is uh, Richard. I'll be honest. Richard is sort of like the older brother I never had. You know, I've gone, I've gotten to know and, and love that man very much over the past uh, four or five years. And uh, uh, him, Axel, and I uh, shared a room at at the AWP uh, conference in Denver last year. And uh, and they'll probably kill me for saying this, but uh, we all did um, sort of get scared together when we watched Paranormal Activity in the hotel room. Um, <laughs> they'll kill me for saying that, but. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I would say if, if uh, same thing with Nick Corpin too. Nick didn't share a room with us, but Nick was right there drinking beers with us and you know laughing at our you know being silly and being scared. But either of those two writers, I think uh, you know, would be a fantastic addition to uh, to the booked podcast. 
we've actually both read Transubstantiate and enjoyed it quite a bit. Actually, Richard Thomas lives probably about 20 miles from me, if even that. So it's a good chance we may see him on here at some point. But Nick Corbin is someone we uh, we already kind of had on our radar. So, But thank you good, for suggesting good. that. Uh, anything else you'd like to plug before we let you go? Uh, no. Um, I would uh, suggest anyone out there, uh, if you're interested in uh, reading any of my work, uh, head over to uh, ChristopherJDewire.com. What's really cool about my website is that there's a section where I, I, um, I give links out to um, two websites that I spent time as a writer in residence. The, uh, uh, the now defunct on hiatus Dogmatica. I was a writer in residence there for about six, seven months back in 2009. And uh, another uh, indie online uh, e-zine called Troubadour 21. Uh, I spent some time over there as well as their writer in residence uh, writing at least a story or two uh, short stories every month. So uh, if uh, people are on the uh, on the fence about picking up when October falls, uh, there's a little bit of free fiction there for them to to read and you know help them make that decision. But uh, any other writers out there, uh, rottenleaves.com, we encourage you to submit. Uh, we're on this new uh, sort of, uh, as I mentioned earlier, this new rolling philosophy where there'll be new content every few days and uh, at least one new short story uh, every week. So I encourage all the writers out there that uh, that may be in the noir, horror, thriller. Uh, if it's something dark and something twisted, it's a, a good bet that we're going to want to publish it. Christopher, thank you so much for taking the time to come on our show. You've been a great guest. We've enjoyed having you. Thank you guys very much for having me. Okay, and once again, that was Christopher Dwyer, author of When October Falls. Really great conversation with him. I'm really glad we could have him on. Feel free to check him out at ChristopherJDwyer.com. We'll have the link on the website, and uh, you can buy his book at Brown Paper Publishing. We'll also have a link for that. Yeah, what a great interview. I mean, he seems like a really great guy. Um, yeah, definitely check out his stuff, When October Falls. Get it before it might go out of existence. Highly recommended from the book podcast. Christopher was nice enough to also give us some goodies to give away to pass on to you guys. So here's what we have. One grand prize winner is going to win an ARC copy. That's an advanced reader's copy. It's kind of like an uncorrected proof. Um, so it's far rarer than just getting the novel. Um, that'll be signed. With that, he's going to include a bonus goodie that you'll just have to wait to get your package to see. And then we're also going to give away two signed copies of When October Falls. All the details will be in the usual place, bookpodcast.com slash contest. It'll be all over Twitter and on Facebook. And that'll do it for this special interview episode of Booked. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedden. Keep reading. <laughs>